So Christ sits at the head. If you go back to Colossians 1.18, that's declared emphatically by God. And he works through his church and through a body of believers who, as verse 14 described it, are bound together, united with all the others in the body in a very supernatural, perfect harmony. If you remember back, I would just remind you here of Colossians 2, verse 19, might be on the same page as where you are now, in 316. But that expression of us holding fast to the head, all of us being nourished and knit together. There's that same idea of being bound together in perfect harmony, knit together through all the joints and ligaments, growing with a growth that is from God. So verse 11 kicked off this church section, just declaring that Christ is all and all-important and the dominant feature of every person in a body of Christ is Christ himself. Therefore, all the other earthly distinctions that we can make, all the differences that we have, become negligible, negligible irrelevant. What stands out above every unique thing about all of us, each of us, is we're all sharing Christ. The gospel really changes everything. Verses 12 to 14 then begin to describe what the presence of Christ in us individually and what the presence of Christ in our body as we're growing in the gospel does. It shapes the kind of people we each become and how we conduct all of our relationships with each other. So, powerful shapers of the culture that we see in this section. I'm going to highlight verse 14, and then we'll jump back to verse 12. But 14, remember, is most significant of all, is that the love of Christ that is shown to all of us in the gospel teaches us and transforms us, all of us who are in him, so that we begin evermore to love each other like he loves. Not only like he loves us, but like he like, loves each of each person in the body. And then same thing, the compassion and kindness that we're called to put on is something that's been shown to us in the gospel. So it is teaching us, instructing us, shaping and molding and transforming us so that we become ever more compassionate and kind people to all. Same is true of the humility and meekness of Christ shown us in the gospel. The patience and the incredible forbearance of Christ. If you just stop and think very long about that, it is just stunning how patient and forbearing Jesus Christ is with us, even as our high priest. And that teaches and transforms us. The gospel working in us makes us ever more patiently bearing with each other. And then, for many of us, one of the most challenging things, but one of the greatest evidences of the gospel at work in a body of believers, is that the forgiveness of Christ shown us transforms us so that we become forgiving people just as he is and does. And then the next three verses that we've now started to work our way through, verses 15, 16, and 17, are other powerful shapers of the church culture. And I would emphasize they're both the fuel, meaning what fuels everything that's happening in the body, and they are the fruit, they are the result. So the peace of Christ both fuels it as it rules in our hearts, and the peace of Christ is the fruit or the result of it, both individually in each of our hearts and body-wide. 
And then last week we started into verse 16, the word of Christ, such a critical part. How will anyone believe unless they hear the hearing of the word, the hearing of the gospel, the hearing of truth? As it dwells richly in us is really the transforming power of all that takes place. A church thrives in peaceful, perfect harmony because the word of Christ is not just passing through our ears on a given Sunday and we go out unchanged, but because it enters in, it actively dwells and resides within us richly, not sparsely or sparingly, and is doing its work. So hopefully that's spurred you on afresh with I must be in the Word. I must have the Word be in me. And it must be active. How did Psalm 119 work for the four of you that did that read through that this week? Actually, I think four people shared by midweek that they had worked their way through Psalm 119. So praise the Lord for that. If you haven't done it, not too late. It just helps us see all kinds of different ways that the Word impacts us and shapes and molds us. So at the very end of the message last week, we just barely peered into the next line in verse 16, which is where we're going to spend our time today, that the Word of Christ is to be dwelling in each of us and all of us so richly that it starts coming out our mouths, that it affects the way that we talk and, and interact with each other. It just can't stay inside. And really, the rest of verse 16 describes three effects of the Word of Christ dwelling in us. We're going to teach and admonish each other. We're going to sing to each other. And we're going to thank God profusely and profoundly. So we'll unpack those in the coming weeks in the Lord's timing. Uh, but they're all sitting there. And the first of those three that we're going to think about today is the teaching and admonishing of each other uh, in all wisdom, which is really a way of saying in the word of Christ because the Word of Christ is the source of our wisdom. So I've titled this a couple of different ways. The teaching and admonishing of one another are the need and the value of close and open relationships, or how a church body makes disciples of Jesus Christ, or more loosely, does discipleship. And we want to think about considering just is Colossians 3, 16b, as important in my life and in my fulfilling it to the level, the degree that Christ would have me to within this body. And we just want to think practically through what does that mean and how does it get carried out within a church body. I'll tell you right up front how I've been praying for you and for me in this, that this passage and these thoughts will convince you perhaps more than you've been convinced to this point, especially of some of the things we talk about, is not a dynamic reality in your life currently, that you'll see the vision that is cast in this short line and uh, value it for your own life and for our church. Secondly, that by the end of the message, where we'll get more and more practical, you will feel more equipped and readied. And I want to say up front, and I'll try to remember to say at the end as well, each elder stands prepared and would be thrilled to walk through uh, and equip you even further in this way if it is a desire of yours or a need of yours. And then third, to stir you to act, that the seed of the word will not simply 
fall on you and then dissipate and be gone by midweek or by the next sermon that you hear, but that God will use this to really work a movement within our body in a very powerful way. I wanted to talk about some of these things in the latter half of the message today for quite some time, months. And this text felt like a great place for us to unpack some of that. So let's go to the Lord as we seek his help to understand this. So Lord, we just want to pray the parable of the soil now, even over this body this morning. That is, the seed of your word is shown, sown. And again, just a few short words, but pregnant with meaning and significance and power and importance. And I pray that there will not be any hearts that are hardened, path soil, where the word is just quickly snatched up by the evil one and gone. I pray that there will not be hearts that have shallow soil where nothing roots deeply and only lasts for a short time before it dies. I pray it will not fall on hearts that are full of rocks, of worldly concerns and worries and desires and distractions, where even though there may be growth for a while, the seed is ultimately choked out by these other rocks. But I pray, Lord, for soil this morning that is watered by the Spirit, that is churned and prepared, and that as the seed falls upon it, it will be planted, it will take root, it will bear fruit as it grows for the glory of your name. In this church body, in each of these individuals, for your sake we pray. Amen. So, first of all, what does this concept mean? And I'm going to circle through it a number of ways, hopefully not too long, but just try to unpack some of the significance of it. First, it's kind of striking. Keep your finger at 316b. Go back to 128 of Colossians, which is our church-declared vision statement that we want to proclaim and preach and uh, speak of Christ and in that process, do two things. Warning, which is very similar to admonishing in Colossians 3.16. And same word, teaching everyone. And notice, same prepositional phrase. In 3.16, in all wisdom, here with all wisdom. And the goal of it is unpacked in verse 28, for the maturity of all. And Paul adds back in chapter 1, verse 29, that this is something that is so profoundly important and challenging to do that he toils and struggles at it. He pours all of his energy into it. But it's really, he shares the energy of God that is ultimately accomplishing it. And then if you look back at Coloss or I'm sorry, Acts 20, verse 31, we see the declaration that Paul did not cease night and day for three years to admonish, same term there, and notice, with tears. Like, my heart was in my teaching and admonishing. I wept many an hour over you and uh, with you through all of this. And then I would argue that just like back in verse uh, 5 of Colossians 3, that we said those are not the only six sins that need to be put to death. They're simply the little sampler that's put out at the beginning. So here I don't think it's only these two actions, but this is capturing the idea of, and here are other biblical terms, speaking the truth in love, explaining, instructing, encouraging, rebuking, correcting, training, exhorting, warning, counseling, instructing, sorry, that's a repeat, advising, urging, 
All of those are captured up in this of how we interact with each other. Here's a few other scriptures that impact some of this same concept without always using the exact same words. For Thessalonians, twice in here we have a couple of verses from there. One, like a father with his children. In other words, there's a very familial uh, interacting here. Three things. We exhorted each one of you, encouraged you, and charged you. And the goal of it? To walk in a manner worthy of God. In Romans 15, that you're, he wanted all of the members uh, to be able to instruct one another. In the Church of Thessalonica or Thessalonian Bible Church, he urged the members to admonish, encourage, and he even specified certain kinds of people. Anyone you see idle, it's your job to admonish them. Anyone you see faint-hearted, it's your job to encourage them. Anybody you see weak, it's not your job to criticize them, it's your job to help them. And in that process, much like Colossians 3, 12, be patient with each other. So all of these are just layering in. We looked often at Hebrews 3. Exhort one another every day so that the sin that still is in us does not harden our hearts. James Dunn says, it is a striking feature of the Pauline corpus, or the full writing of Paul, how often and how much he insisted that the members, not the clergy, the members of the churches to which he wrote should recognize their mutual responsibility to teach and admonish. Note that many of these verses, including Colossians 3.16b, use that one another or each other phraseology. In other words, one to another. One to one. Implying that there is a back and forth exchange that is happening between individual believers who are all trying to bring the word of Christ to build each other up in Christ. Part of a whole array of one another's that we looked at last September were to love one another, pray for one another, agree with one another, bear with one another, be kind and tender-hearted, submit to, be at peace with, be in harmony with, comfort, serve one another, welcome and greet one another, show hospitality to one another, fellowship with one another, clothe yourselves with humility, humility toward each other, show honor to each other, address each other in songs, encourage one another, exhort, instruct, forgive, confess sin. And I would put forth one more text that I think, though there's different language in the making of disciples. I really think the Great Commission is in this Colossians 3.16 as well. Part of the way we are fulfilling the Great Commission is that we're teaching each other how to observe, to obey, to live out all that God instructs us in His Word to do. So of all these one another's, I would say that teaching, admonishing, warning, all this idea of conveying important things with words and with the word of Christ are a particularly important and powerful way that the body is to engage with each other. The word of Christ is to be a central part of our conversations with each other. It's a primary thing that we talk about. We long to share what Christ is teaching us in his word with others, and we love to hear what others are learning as well. And if this seems a bit daunting, if you just automatically are excusing yourself, well, I'm not really the teaching type, I would put forth to you that I think almost everything in our conversations is teaching and admonishing. So think about it. 
oh, we shouldn't do an open house this way because I heard that this happens, and so we should do this instead. What did we just do in that comment? We taught and we admonished. Don't do this, and here's what you ought to do instead. And you can think about anything. When we're talking about our kids, oh, don't, don't put them on the, in that league or in that club, or don't do this or that, or you'll regret this, or you ought to do this. It's really good. It's going to be worth it. Like, that's the way we talk with each other about all kinds of things. We're teaching and admonishing without realizing we're teaching and admonishing. So let's not be paralyzed by how will I teach and admonish somebody else with the word of Christ? Especially if the word of Christ is already dwelling richly in us. Then it just flows out. It's not something where we have to think, what's the verse I'm going to share with somebody? They just told me they have so-and-so that's in the hospital. What can I, like the word dwelling in us will then flow out is part of the intention and design of this. So summarizing, 316b says we all need to be taught the wisdom of Christ by other believers and we all are to be teaching other believers with the wisdom of Christ. Next slide, please. Every believer is a disciple of Jesus and every believer is a disciple maker of Jesus. Can we go one more slide, Sam? Thank you. Ryan Griffith, if you're a Christian, but you aren't making disciples, you're not truly following Jesus. You're not truly carrying out all that he has saved you to do. Disciple makers, those who teach and admonish one another, are not a special class of believer. It doesn't take so many years of being a believer to do this. We can start from our earliest days, and at whatever level we are at, we continue to mature in that and to do that. Dever, with his often short, blunt statements, disciples, disciple. Godwin, and you can tell me how to, oh, I'm on the next slide, yes. Godwin Sathanayathan said, Jesus didn't have in mind maverick disciple makers. He had in mind a community of believers who together and under the authority of the local church, under the authority of Christ, under the authority of the word, under the authority of the elders that God puts in place, through all of that to seek to transfer the faith to the next generation. In other words, our teaching and admonishing is not just willy-nilly doing whatever we want, but we're even conveying with, with each other how we are teaching and admonishing each other. And this is part of how we stand on the shoulders of many who have gone before us who have done this faithfully. And now we need to look and say, it's our generation, it's our turn, it's our time that we must do this as well for future generations to still have the truth of Christ being taught fully. The body life of a church is to be a continuous back and forth exchange of the wisdom of Christ found in the word of Christ revealed to us by the spirit of Christ. We don't learn just in isolation, on our own, being self-taught, even though we're all to be in God's Word, and it's to be in us individually, but we are learning much in community, through each other, with each other, and for the sake of each other and each other's spiritual good. No one ever graduates from this school, this disciple-making and being-made school. Ever again, we help one another follow Jesus. We disciple each other. Churches don't need programs as much as they need cultures of discipleship.
cultures where each member or each attender, each person who considers themselves a part of a body, prioritizes not just their own spiritual health, but the spiritual health of others. So let's bore down a little bit now, a little more deeply into how. And this is where we're not tethered quite as tightly to just this text, but to thinking through some ways that are just more practical uh, and probably a little different from our normal way of unpacking this. But I hope helpful and encouraging to you. So Sunday mornings, right? Sunday mornings are a significant way in which the teaching and admonishing in all wisdom is happening. In a formal way, in other words, there's people who invest time through the weeks or days leading up to the service to put together everything. All of the songs are teaching and admonishing us, our prayers, our reading of scripture, our preaching, all of those things in a very formal way, even our call to worship and our benediction even. All of it is designed to teach and admonish each other. But then before and after the service, for those of you who come and take part in that, or stay and take part in that, is an important time of how we follow up. Whether we're talking about the text that was studied that morning, or we're talking about what's going on in our lives, a particular burden that's on our hearts, or just seeing how each of us is. That teaching and admonishing, as we're talking with each other, should be happening as a healthy way. Here's the way Chad Bird said it. Not necessarily talking about this text, but I thought it was a good capturing. A little bit of vulnerability among Christians would go a long way toward giving a witness to the world about what the church is really here for. Jesus didn't found a gym where we can go and flex our biblical biceps in front of mirrors so everyone can see how hard we've worked at being holy. He didn't create a virtual spiritual reality where we can gather together with like-minded virtual reality users and talk about things of virtually little importance. Christ founded a church which is a little bit hospital, a little bit mental ward, and a little bit weekly reunion of sinners who have made a mess of their lives. It's a place where self-proclaimed righteous people who think they have it all together, I put in the think they have it all together, will be bored because there's nothing there for them. Churches for real sinners who really sin with other real sinners, for here they find the friend of sinners, Jesus the Christ. So such an important part, huge part of why we emphasize attendance, not because it improves our standing before God, but just a consistent weekly rhythm of being refueled and renourished and being taught and admonished as we're together on this property for hopefully two to four hours every single Sunday, not just 76 minutes or 78 if I go over. Beyond that then, smaller subsets of the whole body in group gathers, gatherings teach and admonish each other. So think life groups here. Think men's groups that meet. Think women's. So the Tuesday morning men's, the Wednesday night Ruth study that's starting for the women are all subsets. Prayer groups that just met this last Thursday night. Conferences we go to. Training, etc. Where the word of Christ is central and either one person teaching or a group discussing is seeking to teach and admonish each other in the ways of the Lord. Many of you are investing in this. It's a beautiful thing to watch. I see fruit in your lives as a result. It's sweet to hear what's going on in life groups as one example throughout the week. And I just want to urge those of you 
who do nothing beyond Sunday morning to stretch yourself in the coming months as we, especially in the fall when we kind of reopen those life groups back up more vibrantly to be a part of it and to recognize that the smaller group setting and the interacting that happens in that is an important part of how we grow as well. But disciples aren't made fully, robustly in just group settings. I want to put forth to you a third that I think is one of the most important and effective ways that the word is taught and admonished in us, and that is one-on-one. Or face-to-face, or if that's uncomfortable for you because you don't make eye contact with people, side-by-side. Whatever it takes, get near each other, spend time with each other, and it's, again, back-and-forth exchanging between believers to help each other through the word of Christ be drawn to Christ. I believe Jesus modeled that. I believe Paul really modeled it for us and that all of us are better off when we are known well by a few. We don't have to be known well by the whole body. In fact, in a body our size, that's nigh impossible. But known well by a few and a few who know us or we know them really deeply. A few Proverbs and verses, some of these that we looked at last, sun, last summer when we studied Proverbs a little bit more. But just reminders here. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. Those who say, well, now we're on the other end. I don't really want to be a part of the group. I'm just staying out, doing my own thing. I'll come Sunday morning, get out of there right afterward. I'll be one of the first five people out of the building and I'm happy, I'm good, I'm contented, thanks for feeding me, see ya. He breaks out against sound judgment. He's not working wisely with his life and organizing it. Proverbs 27, 9. The sweetness of a friend or of a friendship comes from earnest counsel, the teaching and admonishing of each other and the sharing of wisdom value those relationships highly and invest yourself in them and build your relationships around them. Now we're going to delve even further into this to a particularly uh, I think significant manifestation or outworking of this one-to-one. And I'll put forth to you this. The regular we might have to go back a slide, Sam. The regular, sustained over time, usually months, years, decades, face-to-face, side-by-side, heart-to-heart interactions between two believers that are intentional about spiritual growth down in the depths of ourselves with Christ and toward Christ through all of life's challenges. It's two believers who have an attitude of, I want to walk faithfully with Jesus all of my life, to honor him in every way and to experience all that he saved me to experience. Will you help me? And the other who says, or saying to the other, I care that you too walk faithfully, experience all that he has saved you for. How can I help you? Proverbs 27, 17. One way of wording it, a word picture. Iron sharpens iron Notice the singularity of those. One man, one woman sharpens 
another. There is a particularly refining, sharpening work that is done one-on-one that can't be done in small groups and can't be done in a whole congregational setting. Disciples aren't made by factory production. We have a lot of similarities. There's similar things, but just as the same simple marriage commands are fleshed out in every marriage uniquely, so the same simple profound commands of God for a body are fleshed out very uniquely in each of us. And it's working with all of those unique aspects that really can sharpen and mold and shape us. So Greg Morris, who are your advisors? Who knows you well enough to challenge your plans and decisions? When's the last time you let somebody push back on something in your life? If you can't remember, you may be more isolated than you think, at least in ways that really matter. Online articles, sermons, and podcasts can be a great gift, but we all need flesh and blood, life-on-life perspective for our particular personalities, struggles, and circumstances. We need friends who can look us in the eye and see what no one online can. And I would say what everyone on Sunday morning when we're putting on our Sunday best also doesn't see. Some of us might immediately begin to rationalize. I have a tremendous, amazing spouse that does this. And that's really what I need. Or I'm surrounded by a believing family, a father or mother or both who have invested heavily and still are in my life. Um, But I want to say to you that just keeping it with, just like we don't marry within the family, so it's not always healthy to just keep everything discipleship-wise within the family. That there are tremendous insights into our life that others can give us that, that they see because they're not family. And let's recognize that there's a growing number of people even sitting here this morning who don't have any of that. They don't have a spouse that helps them. They don't have a family that helps them. Consider that it might not just be about you, that maybe God has given you all that grace so that you become fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters and spouses to people who don't experience and have that. So now let's boil it down even more to some of the specifics. And maybe for the first time in history, I'm five minutes ahead of where I think I'm supposed to be. Praise God. I don't think you're getting out earlier, but praise God for that. Just, let's just think through some of the what, when, where, how. And this is where the more of the teacher in me and the practical, not so much preaching, but hopeful that this is helping equip you. Some of you, this is comfortable. You know it. It's going to be like, duh. But for others of you who may just feel like, I've never done this. I don't know where to begin. I don't know who to begin with. I don't know what to do. Just to stir your thinking somewhat. As simple as this, let's sit down and open the Bible together And let's begin to study it and read it and see what it has to say and sharpen each other's understanding of that. So whether you think of the coma method, which uh, just walks us through some of the basic uh, context, observation, meaning, and application. Um, We're working our way, some of the elders now, through a book called One, One to One Bible Reading by David Helm that stresses some of that. Uh, Perhaps 
in the future there'll be other things as we continue Chris went last week to a seminar on disciple making we're just trying to glean and find resources that might help us just in this uh, first kind and certainly a hugely valuable one if anything else seems daunting to you start with just that with somebody who will walk with you through that and if you're not comfortable with your own then connect with someone who knows the word better and fuller and learn from them it's invaluable but we can also break that down into a couple of more maybe thematic or topical ways whether it's studying and beefing up your doctrine and theology and I want to say first and foremost about the gospel itself there's a million studies well thousands of studies that you can do on the gospel and aspects of it and just growing in your understanding so it becomes ever more robust for your own life as well as for your sharing it with others or many of us are just how do I grow in being a more loving person or a more humble or more self-controlled how do I deal with anger and lust and greed and self-centeredness how do I find help for marriage and parenting and finances and evangelism and leadership and there's a gazillion books out there many of them not worth your time investing but God has certainly given us as people many valuable resources perhaps run those by others but just how we flesh the word of Christ out with each other and help each other in that and I just want to note that on number four sometimes you're doing discipleship making or disciple making and you don't even know you're doing it if you're in an accountability group if you're in a prayer group if, if you have friends that you get together for certain activities, if you do ministry with someone, uh, even hobbies and recreational things that we like, if the word of Christ is being shared, we're teaching, admonishing each other in those conversations with some intentionality, all can be creative ways in which we are making disciples. So much of Jesus' disciple-making was just events that were happening in a given day and talking through that and teaching through that. And then, finally, but where I want to spend just a little more time, of just intentional, regular, sustained, one-on-one, -on -one, same individual to same individual, meeting together, extended many dozens upon dozens of conversations of working our way through things and talking. Now, Mere talk, Proverbs tells us, can lead to poverty. But if we're talking with intention and we have the word of Christ as a central subject within our conversations and our relationship, then it can be a very powerful way in which the Lord makes us more mature disciples. So here's just a few ideas. Again, some of you will see these as all obvious, but if they're helpful for some of you uh, specifically on how do you do this kind of thing, Here's a few ideas. And now all of you I meet with can test and see how I do on these things as well. How each one, next slide if you would, yeah. How each one is doing in your own personal fellowship and communion with God. That's kind of a vague thing. It can be a hard thing to articulate. It's really hard to measure if you meet every week and, and open with that question to always measure. Well, there's been significant. But just being honest about that, I'm in a dry spell. I don't think the Lord's hearing my prayers. I'm struggling with depression right now, and I feel far from God. Or, man, God is doing some incredible and amazing things, and this is what it's doing in me. Just talking through that relational piece. 
Secondly, what you're learning from the Word of Christ, whether that's on your own in your own quiet time and the things that God's teaching you or sermons that you hear or whatever about the Word, and also ways that the Word of Christ is being brought to you. From Sunday morning, many of our life groups have just gone to talking about the text that's, until I got too slow, talking about the text that's before us and just working and massaging that in deeper. But I've just found that when I take what I've been learning and I express it to someone else, Beth or someone else, that it solidifies, it helps me grasp and put my hands around it more um, and focus on it more. Third, just the current challenges of life circumstances. We always all have a lot going on, but there are certain seasons where it just feels like God is pounding us with difficult and challenging things. And there's other seasons where it's just incredible the blessings that he's pouring out, at least the way that we measure blessings. But just the, the constant things that's going on. And those first three alone can fill up conversations if you're really open and transparent with each other. Let me throw a few more. If you're married, talking about that and, and seeking to work and always grow in that. If you're a parent, how you're doing in that parenting, in the family relationships and dynamics, and in extended family relationships as well. Sometimes the parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and siblings are the biggest problem. And then working down to even other practical things, how you're doing in work or whatever it is that your daily activity is and what God's teaching you through that, where you would appreciate prayer or God's word spoken into that. What would you do with this work situation where my boss is asking me to do this? What do I do here? Should I change jobs? Should I da 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 da? How are you doing in church life? How are you investing in the time there? Are you serving? How are your relationships going, particularly there? Uh, how are you giving? All of those things. How are you doing in rest? How are you doing in setting boundaries? How are you doing in what you do with your free or your more optional time? Um, in here, I don't have this on the slide, but. How are you doing with your phone? Where are you going online? What are you looking at? What, what do you spend your minutes on? How pure are you staying? How devoted to the Lord? Is it honoring to Christ? All of that accountability that we can have in there. And then how are you doing in evangelism? Have you shared the gospel with anyone since we last met? How are you doing in making disciples with other people? Is it an active and ongoing part in that? And can I help you in any way with that? Those are just teasers to begin with, ideas of which two people can talk and meet for years and decades and grow tremendously. Basically, you operate around an honest, open, transparent relationship. I'm scaring some of you men, aren't I? Opening up, being real, being genuine, and basically, you can ask me anything, and I can ask you anything, and we will be real with each other so that we help each other follow Christ ever more faithfully. Whatever method you use, our interaction should always include, and these are basic elementary truths, but I just, you, you almost write them down and you make sure before you part ways, you have done these things. Have we focused on Christ? Have we brought Christ to the forefront? Has he even been mentioned? How much has he been? Is he an integral part of the su sufficiency and the solution and the provision? Is he preeminent? How are we teaching each other about Christ? Secondly, reminding each other of gospel truths, whether it's I'm really struggling with forgiving my father or 
I have no idea to do with what this situation with my teenager. And how do we bring the gospel to bear on that and help each other and encourage each other? Remember all the different manifestations of the gospel. What Christ has done, what it has accomplished, all that he is doing now, all the promises of the gospel that we need to encourage each other with. The gospel must be front and center in all of our discipleship. And in that, consciously being careful, we're not just doing behavior modification. External changes. Just painting the barn with a new coat of paint. But we're dealing with the deeper heart issues where the gospel is most intended to work and strengthen us. Third, and this should be a duh in the Colossians 3.16. But if you think back, you can think of, I can think of conversations I have with people where I haven't brought up the word or a scripture. And it doesn't have to be that you know the address and all of that, but you're very aware of the truth of Christ and how sharing that and how you want to hear that truth of Christ from others as well. So 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 is still such a powerful text for that. God's living, active words, that comes from Hebrews, are the most profitable things we can talk about for maturing us, equipping us for every good work so that we are full and complete and mature in Him. And then I also thought of, it's not on the slide, but 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And then right behind that, avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. So making sure that our conversation is aligned with the word, bringing the word, and allowing the word to do its work. Mark Deborah, God's word is the seed that ultimately bears fruit, even if we don't see it in the short term. Sow the word now. Sow it with your spouse and children. Sow it with other members of the church. And trust God's word will not return void. And then fourth, and not least importantly, always covering all that you're doing in disciple making and teaching and admonishing each other with prayer. That all of this is dependent upon God working and so we are continually before we meet with someone covering that in prayer especially if you have hard things to talk about during that conversation turning off unto God help me bring your truth to mind how do I respond to this I don't want to tell the individual this but God give me the courage to do it now because I know I need it and then afterward as you hear and learn new things from each of your meetings about how to pray for that individual and remember that one of the best things we can do. We don't get to it till Colossians 4.2, but if you peek ahead, we'll see that prayer is to permeate everything. So that Colossians 2.19, what we open with, we're all growing with a growth that comes from our efforts. That comes from what? Growing with a growth that comes from God. So, in closing, consider carefully how well are you doing in carrying out this particular call of the scripture I said recently I don't know where I'd be without this church I would add to that I don't know where I'd be without the deep long term one on relationships that I've had with many of you they have profoundly profoundly 
shaped my life. That's what we're here for, for each other. So let's be faithful to that call and that task and teach and admonish. We elders long for each of you to have these kinds of relationships, to experience the spiritual growth and strengthening that comes through them, and we stand ready to help you in any way that you might need. I just want to say the younger you are and the younger in faith and the weaker you are in faith, the more significant it is. Typically, the people who hear these messages and respond and react and obey and carry them out are the ones who are already doing those things and are spiritually mature. So don't be a doubter and a hater. Ask God, prayerfully begin to consider who, how, when, where, and be willing to carve out the time. Some of us will have to take something off our plate in order to make time for this, but if we value it enough, we will. Others of us don't have a plate that's nearly full. We're just pretty lackadaisical, laid back, and just want to have fun, and we need to put this on our plate and get spurred on and kicked in the seat a little bit. Robert Thune, closing with this. A couple of thoughts. All of us have different God-given gifts and talents. Some of us are endowed with great natural ability. Others have meager skills. But all of us can make disciples. All of us can pass on the faith. The Bible doesn't require you to be visionary, apostolic, entrepreneurial genius. It does require you to be a faithful, obedient Christian who takes the Great Commission seriously and gives yourself wholeheartedly to it. The fruit of your life, at the end of it all, should be a heritage of disciples of Jesus who are walking with him and leading others because of your influence and investment. One of the last things that the Apostle John wrote in his letters was in 3 John verse 4, where he said, and it's it's pretty remarkable, I have no greater joy. Just think of those three words. I have no greater joy than this, that my children, and he's not talking biological children, He's talking those that he's poured his life into and loved as if they were his own sons and daughters, that they're walking in the truth and that they've grown and and that what I've invested in them is reaping rewards. And David Mathis reminds us the joy in this. There's a lot of heartache and a lot of difficulty in disciple making, but that there are rich pleasures that we experience no other way than when we've emptied ourselves at middle line at depth and length for the spiritual well-being of others. Lord, we have pause again at the end of a, another line of Colossians and just thank you for what you call us to here, as challenging as it can be, but it's so beautiful, it's so powerful, and I pray that you will make us evermore. Even these very words will dwell richly in us and work richly in us to make us even more disciples of you, and disciple makers for your name. We ask in your name. Amen.